Sairam, dear listeners, we are back with yet another segment of Trist with Divinity. In this series, devotees from around the world share their stories of how they came to Bhagwan Baba. At the time of the Holocaust, she was but an infant. As her mother was taken away to the concentration camp and she lay abandoned in the street of Budapest, a divine power protected her. As she grew up, her search continued till it brought her face to face with her guardian angel. Welcome to this episode of Trist with Divinity. In conversation with us is Parvati Suzy Reeves. Sairam Parvati and welcome to Radio Sai. Sairam. Your journey to Bhagwan Baba began very early in Montreal, Canada in the year 1976. How did this come about? In 1976, I was uh, living in Montreal, working as a fashion designer, very much uninterested in uh, spiritual life as such in India and uh, the world of gurus. But Sai Baba reached out to me and that was the very first miracle in my journey with him. How did you hear of him? I read about Sai Baba in the British Vogue magazine, which is a fashion magazine. Yes. And in, in the course of my work, checking up on the latest fashion, I came across an article with a black and white photograph of a person with Afro hair. And underneath, it was written, Satya Sai Baba. At first, I associated the picture with Jimi Hendrix or some sort of fashionable mm-hmm. musician at the time. Because and of the hair, I guess. Yeah. And I just kind of brushed it aside. But something, some magnetism, some very strong pull made me take the article home and read it in the privacy of my home. And um, there, reading through the article, there was a paragraph The writer wrote, Satya Sai Baba stood before me in the interview room and I saw the embodiment of pure love. Hmm. And that sentence caught my heart. I could feel, the, I can still go back to that moment where a rusty key turned in my heart. And uh, I felt totally convinced that I have to go and meet this person and see for myself if he is truly the embodiment of pure love. But this interest in spirituality, it came to you at a time when you were at the top of your game. You were such a well-known fashion designer in uh, Canada, in North America. Clothes designed by Susie Reeves were a rage and many uh, high society women were proud to wear those clothes that you had designed. And you were featured in magazines. Uh, you seem to have everything. You seem to have it all. Where was this sense of uh, spiritual seeking or longing coming from? I've always had all through my life the question, why was I born? And I used to torture my mother with this question. Why did you make me? Why did you let me be born? You didn't ask me. You didn't ask my permission. And why was I born? For what purpose? 
and she couldn't answer me. She was very hurt by this question. So this uh, philosophical question was always inside me as well as a search and a hunger, a yearning for truth and pure love. These were the big things for me. But I have not discovered them anywhere around, nor my parents could answer me, nor any teacher that I came across until then. In my 34th year, Sai Baba entered my life, and I felt intuitively that he will give me these answers. And this is what brought me to India. Mm-hmm. Before I ask you about your journey to India and what it was like, uh, may I backtrack and ask, uh, maybe acquaint our readers with the fact that uh, you had a very traumatic childhood. It was during the Second World War, and you were born when the Nazi rage was at its peak in Europe, in Budapest, Hungary. On top of it, you were born with a physical deformity, which made life very difficult in those days because one of your hands was underdeveloped. To what extent was the trauma responsible for the sadness and the questioning and the seeking that you experienced despite all the worldly success you faced? First of all, the worldly success did not satisfy Wasn't it a good feeling to have a good paycheck, to be so popular, to be sought after by photographers? It it just wasn't enough, you know. I I really felt myself having reached the peak of a mountain Mm -hmm. and looked around and I saw nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing worth gushing over nothing to to continue this kind of life Mm -hmm. and uh, a friend of mine at the time said it's because you need a goal that is larger than yourself Mm -hmm. he did not mention God but this stuck in my head what is larger than my own personal goal it has to be something spiritual Mm -hmm. something other than the physical life and uh, this is what saw me provided at the time once I came to him he fulfilled that need that yearning for something much larger than my own personal interest Mm -hmm. and what was it like to come to India in 1976 Puttaparthi was a very remote place I personally was always reluctant to come to India with Swami's grace I arrived all on my own not having known anybody who has ever been to except for the article. I didn't know the address. I didn't know where I was going, except that in those days, uh, the foreigners who arrived to Bangalore airport were mostly coming to see Sai Baba. And the taxi drivers themselves guided us and said, Sai Baba is in Puttaparthi or Sai Baba is in Whitefield. And this is how I arrived. And uh, with Swami's grace, without my knowing, he has brought me to Prashanti Nilayam on a Thursday, the ninth of the ninth month. Hmm. Providence, huh? Yes, to start my pilgrimage to him. Very auspicious because the number nine has a lot of significance in Holy Scriptures. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was your first impression? Was uh, it, it, it was, must have been hot. Uh, it was a very hot day. I arrived at midday after lunch. There was not a soul to be seen anywhere in the ashram. In those days, it was a small ashram and uh, very, very few foreigners were here. First of all, I was presented in the um, 
accommodation office, I was presented with a long list of do's and don'ts. It was mostly don'ts, a whole lot of questions, no smoking, no alcohol drinking, no mixing with the opposite sex, no playing loud music, you know, various things. Do I agree to them? And I said, to myself, if I have come all the way around the world to this place, then I might as well just agree <laughs> and not disagree and go back. So I said, yes, I will. I'll, I'll obey all these rules. And then they looked at my passport and uh, the person there said, there are too many stamps in your passport. You are not serious. Hmm. We'll give you a short few days, but come in the evening another person will be there and he will decide. And I looked up at the photograph of Swami above his head and I said, Sai Baba, I called him Sai Baba, if you had brought me all the way here, then please make it possible for me to stay here, mm -hmm. at least to meet you and uh, have my own impression. And okay, for the time being, they assigned me to a room which was in... Uh, W2. Uh, it was just under construction and uh, I was shown to a, a room, a small room with a cement floor, no bed, no furniture, very strange uh, must setup. must have been quite a shock, cultural shock. <laughs> it was because I didn't know where I was supposed to take a shower or anything. There was just a tap out of the wall and I didn't know what to do with the bucket and uh, I was all by myself. I had no one to instruct me. I went in and I tried to uh, wrap this cloth, a sari that I had bought in Bangalore, somehow using my designer's uh, knowledge and experience with fabric, and I set out to explore the ashram. They told me to go and have lunch in the canteen. So I did, and there I met this foreigner, this lady who lived in the ashram, and she said, she looked at me and laughed. She said, too bad Sai Baba has left for Anantapur this morning. Hmm. He's not there. All along, even from the accommodation office, a prayer just broke from my heart and said, I have come here to meet Sai Baba, if it is not his will, if it's not God's will for me to be here, if this is not my place, then I will be guided to the place that is really for me. And this went on like that. So no great big disappointment really could hurt me inside. Then uh, uh, two days later, Sai Baba came back from Anantapur, and uh, I recall that uh, we were seated in inside the Bhajan Hall because in those days, there weren't too many people, especially in Sai Baba's absence. And there was such joyous anticipation. Of course, I didn't know the situation that Sai Baba was staying just upstairs mm -hmm. of the Bajan room. But I could feel everybody's excitement. And sure enough, within a few minutes, Sai Baba walked in in person and sat in his chair. And... I had in my secret heart expected him to look at me, to see me and say, my child, you have come at last. Some sort of sign from him. But 
On the contrary, he looked away, he glanced past by me, he did not notice me, his eyes didn't stop to see me, and he even gave a yawn. <laughs> he looked thoroughly bored with my presence there among all the others. But at the same time, in spite of this, I had such a feeling of familiarity with him that I felt as if my father were sitting there, my father or my dearest uncle or someone really, really close to me in my family. That was my first impression. I understand you felt an internal connection, but there was no obvious warm welcome, yet you ended up staying in India for 23 years. Now, that's a whole chunk of your life. How did that happen? As we all know, Sai Baba has this divine magnetism. His beauty is uh, beyond words and beyond explanation. And uh, especially with new devotees, he does exercise the Krishna charm and, uh, you know, that magic. And for those who belong to him, it really works. And... Uh, uh, an example comes to my mind is uh, when a, a very rowdy boy was presented to Swami by his parents and, and they didn't know what to do with him. He was to totally out of control and Swami took a look at that boy, looked into his eyes and said to the parents, this is my boy. Hmm. And this is how he recognizes his people, you know, his devotees from birth after birth after birth. And I feel that he has indeed recognized something. He has recognized my soul. And then he used all the charm and, uh, you know, the divine action that he, he used to kind of unmask the heart and bring us in. But what was it that made you decide that you wanted to stay? Was it during the first visit that you determined you wanted to be here and live here? I only had a first visit. I didn't have anything else. And then I you came just stayed here? for the here. first time. It was during Dasara 1976. And uh, we were sitting in the Purnachandra Hall. I was totally speechless. I had nothing to say to Baba because he was so divine and so beyond anything I had ever experienced. And uh, Sai Baba came to me in the darshan when he walked on the aisle and looked at me and asked, are you leaving too? Mm -hmm. I said, no. And Sai Baba said, don't go, stay here. Oh. And then I started crying reaction that many people have the first time Sai Baba speaks to them mm. was a deep, deep sobbing. You know, I felt that the, the pain came from the bottom of my souls. And, uh, and I was crying and crying and crying. And in the meanwhile, Sai Baba continued to the end of the uh, oh. Purnachandra. And the lady who was sitting next to me said, don't cry, don't cry. Sai Baba doesn't like crying. And uh, by the time he reached back, I uh, calmed down somehow, but surely I had tear-stained face and uh, I was still mm -hmm. sobbing away, well, inwardly. And Sai Baba looked at me with the kindest, sweetest, motherly smile, say, as if saying, everything is all right. And this is how I came to stay. 
for a period of 23 years. Well, so the years was 1976 to 2000. What did you do during that time living in an ashram? How did you support yourself? How did you keep yourself occupied? Well, uh, first of all, it, this belongs to the first question is uh, Sai Baba doesn't say how long to stay for. It could have been two weeks. It could have been a month. It could have been a year. Mm. He didn't specify for how long to stay. But actually, he had a plan. He had He had it worked out that this soul, this jiva needs a lot of work and a long sadhana. And this is how it became 24 years. I did not stay as long as I wanted to. I stayed as long as Sai Baba had his work to finish with me. In fact, a number of times during that time, even in the beginning, I was one foot out when I was having very difficult times and I thought, that's it, I, I can't take anymore and I wanted to go, but Sai Baba's sweetness and love always pulled me back. Mm -hmm. And what was the nature of this work that you mentioned that you had a lot of work to do? Inner work, I'm assuming. Oh, inner work. It, it's, um, as I understood much, much later toward the end of, well, uh, the last years, is that uh, having come from this very traumatic uh, beginning where it was as if I was living many lives in one, I was abandoned during the war when my mother was taken away Uh, to concentration camp and and my whole family was taken somewhere and there was no one to take care of me as a two and a half, three-year-old little girl. I ended up on the street with other abandoned children, which was quite common during the war in Europe. And uh, by Swami's miracle, I survived. And your grandfather found you on well, the streets of Budapest. Yes, a few years later, and that was because of my hand. My yeah. grandfather was searching for a little girl with one hand. And, and uh, this is how a neighbor came by and uh, said that we think your little granddaughter might be there on the sidewalk, you mm -hmm. know, actually dying because... Uh, I was on the verge of dying and so on. They, they um, My grandparents found me and uh, took So it was all this emotional trauma that the scars that were very deep in your psyche, being a survivor of the Nazi rage, that's the work Swami did on you. Was there any personal uh, physical interaction with Baba or was it all inner work? Uh, I've, I've had many interviews uh, in the beginning, in the first, uh, until 1984, actually, about eight years of m my first day, where Swami has instructed me to do sadhana, mostly. He stressed the point, sadhana, stay alone, don't even think of uh, marriage or uh, companionship with anyone, be alone, mostly silent, Sadhana, silent sadhana is good for you. And it was kind of, you know, how Swami used to talk in kind of half inner messages and half words, promising to take care of me and lead me to the best direction that uh, my life should take. And I agreed with Swami. I felt that his words uh, were resonating in my heart. And I gladly undertook uh, celibacy and uh, brahmachari and uh, whatever he instructed me to do. 
So you became an ashramite for 23 plus years. How did you sustain yourself during those years? This is also part of Swami's miracle. I, uh, it's something that I have never actually uh, put into words so much, but uh, I arrived to India with $1,500 at the time in 1976. And this money stretched out, not for 24 years, but at least when uh, after two years uh, I had to go back to Montreal to have a, a minor surgery, I had enough money to pay for my ticket hmm. to go back. I didn't have to ask anyone. It's a, a miracle of Swami. When His will is there and He wants you to stay, He makes sure that everything, everything is taken care of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, would you like to recall for the interest of our listeners some of your most uh, memorable interactions with Baba in the interview room? Any specific instructions or any moments that really come to mind? The first really very uh, impressive experience with Swami, it was quite in the beginning, within the first few weeks, when I was debating whether Sai Baba is really for me or... Am I just imagining? Am I just escaping my ordinary life, which I was uh, kind of uh, used to doing? I, uh, many people called me my family and escaping uh, my responsibilities and so on. So Swami had to work very hard to make sure that I realized that this is the real serious work I had to do. And that happened in, in Darshan one day when he passed me by. I think I was sitting in the second row and from a few steps away Sai Baba looked back, glanced at me into my eyes and I felt that my soul was being taken out like a, a ball of wool, you know, mm -hmm. uh, turning, turning, turning and pulled out into the cosmos. And I was somehow having an out-of-body experience where my consciousness was being taken away and uh, into where the stars, the moon and the stars are out there. And I knew that Swami was taking me. And uh, it was so strong, so intense, that after, which seemed to me a few minutes, but actually could have been just seconds, I looked down and then the experience ended. Even at the time, I felt that Sai Baba was showing me that he's able to take me out, that his power is unlimited, that he's not a human being. And that sort of affirmed for you that you were not uh, imagining stuff just to escape. Yes, he, mm -hmm. he underlined in red that... Uh, I'm in the right place and mm -hmm. I'm with the most powerful master mm -hmm. there is in the world. Mm -hmm. In your interactions with Baba, did he ever talk about the Holocaust or the childhood? Never, never. I even asked Swami about my hand. Why was I born with one hand? Is it the result of some karma? And Swami said, you are with me and this is my grace. But despite the fact that you have uh, only one hand, you're such a creative person, apart from designing fashion uh, dresses uh, in the world of fashion, you're also very artistic. I remember uh, when I was a student, you did a lot of calligraphy and painting around the ashram. Did Baba assign you that job? Oh, yes. My painting saga started by uh, 
doing a painting of Swami and showing it to him in Whitefield very early on, 1978 probably, and Swami, after a few times passing me by without any reaction, finally came to see the picture and uh, liked it very much. And then he said, you paint many pictures of Baba, we'll put them in the college, we'll put them in uh, various establishments and institutions. And this is how he encouraged me to paint his portraits. And um, mostly they were painted on the basis of photographs given by Swami and approved by Swami. What does living over two decades of your life in an ashram do to a person? How would you trace that journey? Well, the, the first picture that comes to my mind is like an onion. When you use an onion, you have to peel off the layers, the layers of, of the outside. And this is how the soul is pure, pure consciousness. In, in our souls, we are one with God, the Paramatma. And Swami's job is to peel away the layers of ignorance. And that is very often painful because uh, they're so ingrained with us that the ego, the personality, I am this, I am that. And here we come to Swami and he says, get rid of the ego, get rid of the mind and uh, desire, get rid of desires and uh, give up your, well, you know, friends and uh, uh, all the things that were giving you comfort and... Uh, uh, that you were used to until then. So when you came in in 1976 as the seeking Susie Reeves and you left in the year 2000 as Susie Parvati Reeves, ashramite, 23 years, the, the chunk, the prime of your life having lived in an ashram, the world had changed outside and so had you. What was the experience like? It was uh, a bit uh, difficult in many ways because uh, exactly in those years, many, many new technologies came up. Things started working uh, digitally. and Computers uh, were everywhere. With, with cars, no longer tokens that I was used to mm. popping a token in a telephone or so on. Everything was digital and I, I did, I was kind of on the brink of, of panic that I, I just cannot cope with. It, but uh, through Swami's grace and through allowing me to go back to Canada to visit my family every two years or year as it came, I was able to keep up and get rid of this uh, panicky feeling and the feeling that I may not be able to cope with mm -hmm. whatever is going on. So, when you left, you returned to Canada. No, when I left uh, in the year January 2000, Swami gradually was giving me signals that it may be time to leave. At one point, I had three signals. One of them was a dream where I found myself sitting at the bottom of a swimming pool on the cement bottom without any water there. And this uh, symbolism was explained to me that this pool was the pain I had inside me. It was full of, full of pain, but Swami had dried it out. There was no more pain. There was no more water there. The second was I saw a bird. I, I had a vision of a mother bird 
pushing the little one out of the nest, mm -hmm. forcing it to fly out. And uh, I understood what Swami meant. Mm. At that time, I, I've written a letter to Swami asking him if, you know, after these uh, explanations or urgings, if I may leave the ashram to go and live in Israel. Israel came in to me. I think that was the place where Swami wanted me to be. And uh, while accepting the letter, he said, yes, 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 mm -hmm. to the three points that I had written in that so letter. So the Holy Land, huh? Where in Israel are you? Tel Aviv? I am in living in Tel Aviv, which is the uh, cultural and uh, um, financial center. Uh, it's, it's the center of Israel, actually, uh, geographically and otherwise. And it was very, very difficult. First of all, I had not worked for so many years. I had not earned any money. I had very little money, and and uh, to start a new life uh, was not easy. But with Swami's grace, that was taken care of. And uh, and uh, even as to my pension, because I stopped working in Canada, I had no pension coming to me. The fact that Swami had taken me to Israel at the age of 58 entitled me to receive a pension. So now I'm comfortable receiving a pension there because <clears throat> had I arrived two years later, there would not have been any pension. Mm -hmm. Just in me. time to qualify for it. Yes. So he thought of every detail. He really did. He he has come to me many times in meditation and explained things to me, even to uh, what happened during the war. He said that he has been taking care of me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have survived. It was his presence with me there that uh, helped me to survive as a as small a, as child. As a child, during the World War Two. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting story, this whole uh, saga of, you know, a fashion designer from Montreal relocating to India in search of a guru and then deciding to just stay back for the chunk of her life uh, for 23 long years. How has it transformed you as a person? I feel that it has transformed me completely. You know, when you... Um move something, a jigsaw puzzle, and it falls perfectly into place. This is what happened to me. It's a lot of realignment. A lot of realignment and a lot of true transformation as that is Swami's work. For many long years, I felt myself like a, a living fish in Swami's hands that is trying to slip out and get away, you know. But luckily, with Swami's grace, he didn't let go. Firm and grip. Yes, firm grip. And he kept me until his work was over. <laughs> I feel that a sense of wisdom has come into my life. First, even before that, the answers where Swami says, why were you born? You were born to realize God. Mm -hmm. That's the first. So that's the question that tormented you as a child. Yes. And your mother could truly, not answer. Exactly. And now Swami has given you the answer. Yes. And that uh, pure love. He was truly the embodiment of pure love, the example. And he has taught me pure love. He has taught me that to love without expectations. That was my big thing as most of us, you know, we will love if we get back what we expect. Mm 
you know, in remuneration and uh, reciprocation. Mm -hmm. But Swami often did not reciprocate when we wanted him to. So that was the big lesson over the many, and that took a many, many long years to Tough one. fall, the token to fall, you know. Now that um, Swami has invested a lot of time and attention in you, in helping you to heal and to find your answers, how is the world any better? What is it that you do in Israel to carry the favors forward? I, I can't say, you know, because we are not the judge, actually. It's someone else. Only Swami really knows uh, what his creation has come to, uh, whether he's pleased mm. or not. But uh, I feel inwardly that uh, I was sent to this place, this very, very troublesome place in the world. The meaning of Jerusalem mean, is exactly the same as Prashanti Nilayam. It's the abode of the highest peace. And it is one of the power, spiritual power points in the world. Nobody is better than others. I don't feel that Israelis are better than others, uh, than their neighbors, but at least they have no intention of destroying anyone else. They just want to live their own way. And... Um, I feel that Swami himself has come through me because he says that uh, he lives through us. There's no difference between him and us. So in a way, in some spiritual way, Swami lives in Israel through me and through that he's radiating his love and his uh, peacefulness and his highest consciousness. Every day I pray uh, through my uh, meditation and prayer sessions. I, I pray so hard that uh, Swami awakens the light and love in all hearts, in Israelis and in their neighbors, their Arabs, because only when, when Swami's love is awakened in the heart that can help us overcome the difficulties and, and the differences mm -hmm. and realize that we are all one, basically. Yeah. And we, nobody wins in a war. There's casualties on both sides. No. There's children dying, sons being yes, lost, mothers grieved. Bloodshed breeds more bloodshed. Mm -hmm. there's, it's, there's no answer and no end to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel that we all live in God's mansion. Each one has a room. The Muslims have a room. The Hindus have a room. The Jews have a room. And Buddhists have a room. And, and so on. Every religion has a room in God's mansion. But the mansion belongs to God. Mm -hmm. It is not mine. It is not my property. It's all God's property. Mm -hmm. And we are all children. We are all one family. We are the children of God. And until we realize this, there cannot be peace in the world. As Swami said, there can only be pieces, not peace. peace. Very profound. So what's next on the agenda? Just living uh, Swami's teaching and uh, my big message right now, the latest message is to be happy. Swami has said over the many, many, many years, be happy. But do we understand what he means? We don't. What, what does it mean, be happy, have an ice cream or have a sweet or, or do something? But he has explained to me in my 
meditation that be happy means find joy in life, live joyously. That means love, love all and serve all, live Swami's teaching and worshipping God, loving God, being a devotee has to come from a joyous heart. It cannot come from a, a miserable, suffering person or a tortured mind or one who is uh, being very hard on oneself. It has to be a loving God. It has many meanings, you know, loving God and it's a loving God. So, this is Swami's message to me. Forget the past, forget pain, forget suffering, forget whatever happened in the past. Just be happy. Look at Swami's creation. Be happy with the flowers and the trees and the green and the sunshine. Be happy with the blue skies and just absorb the joy, God's joy in cre His creation. And reflect this joy and this is how you should devote or this is how you should worship God. At this point I feel like Swami is inside me. Swami is and the rest of me, the personality is just like petals of a flower, of a lotus let's say, that fall off. They dry up and fall off, but the center of the lotus remains, and this is God. And I am what is left of me, ego, personality, designer, writer, author, painter, all these are just petals that are slowly fall, drying up and falling away. And when the time comes to join God, to merge in God, there will be the center. The which nucleus is, is God. Which is or the nucleus and that is pure consciousness yes. and pure Swami. And this is why I don't suffer Swami's physical absence because I feel his presence in me. And uh, there's a union, there's a, a constant, continuous union within the jiva and the Paramatma. Paramatma, and that is established by him being within me and my knowing it. So, as Swami has explained, the physical bodies have to fall. They are thrown off like used clothes, but the essence remains, and that is eternal. Uh, except that the world in Montreal had a very low temperature compared to the temperature in Puttaparthi <laughs> yes, <laughs> in those days. Puttaparthi has cooled off relatively now. Yes, but it didn't bother, you know, with Swami's presence, His beautiful presence and His footprints in the sand in front of us and His charm, His closeness, you know, where He was occupying Himself with us. He was with us because it was the time before the even the universities and the, the colleges and the primary school and the, the, the super specialty hospitals, Swami had time to play with us and for his leelas and, uh, and we were his investment, we were his occupation in the daily darshans and the interaction that uh, he had with us. Well, on that joyful note, I thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you and Sairam. Thank you.
Sairam dear listeners we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Parvati Suzy Reeves it came to you as a part of our Trist with Divinity series we welcome your feedback at listener at radiosai.org thank you for being with us and Sairam from Prashanti Nilayam <laughs>